If you have your Bible, please turn to Matthew chapter 5. If you have a smartphone, you, you use your Bible on your smartphone, turn on your Bible to Matthew 5. And I want you to uh, get ready for a brand new series. This series is called DTR. DTR. For those of you who are over 40 and don't know what that means, there is a, um, there is a thing that happens in every relationship where you have to have the talk. The talk, and you define what's really going on here. It's called define the relationship. That's what a DTR is. Have you had your DTR? Yeah, how'd it go? Well, here's how. Here's what. Here's, here's what happens. Uh, women understand it as define the relationship. Men mostly understand it as destroy the relationship. But I do. <laughs> I do think that there's a, there's a thing that happens when you have this talk and you're, you're evaluating what this relationship is all about. And what we're going to do over the next few weeks is we're going to we're gonna define our relationships. But we're going to do it according to what God says they are. We're going to define the relationships according to the scriptures. We're going to look at our marriage relationship. We're going to look at love. We're going to look at uh, singles and, and single people and how they date. And we're going to look at how to choose a spouse. And we're going to, we're going to talk about relationships and how they work and God's design and, and God's purpose for these relationships. And so I really want you to pay attention over the next few weeks and let's build our relationships according to the scripture, according to God's desire and design for each one of us. And so before we get started here, I want to tell you the story of Harold and Marie. Harold and Marie were celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary and had never had an argument. When asked about the secret to their marriage success, here's what Harold said. Harold explained it. He said, when they were leaving the church on their honeymoon for their honeymoon, just after the wedding. They got into a horse-drawn carriage and, and started going, but then the horse refused to go. And Marie, take-charge woman that she was, got out and looked at the horse right in the face and said, that's one. And then she got back in the carriage and the horse started going and, and moved for a few feet forward. Moved a few feet forward. And then she, the, the horse stopped again. And then she got out of the carriage and came around and looked that horse in the face and said, that's two. And she got back in the carriage and they went a little bit further. But then the horse stopped again. But this time she got out, pulled out her revolver and shot the horse right in the head. Harold was appalled and said, what is wrong with you, Marie? You can't do that. You can't just shoot an animal. Especially in Austin. <laughs> and Marie looked at Harold and right in the face, looked him right in the eye and said, that's one. <laughs> and they never had another fight the rest of their life. I don't think this is the best way for conflict resolution to materialize in your marriage. Uh, we are going to talk about conflict resolution. We're going to talk about the keys to communication. We're going to talk about some of these ideas and some of these principles. But one thing I'm convinced of is people really want to have healthy and strong relationships, but they don't know how. They long for healthy relationships, but somehow it remains elusive in their lives. And so there, there is a, a group of people here most of you statistically have been touched by the pain of divorce. You've been touched by the pain of broken relationships. Your past has been weathered. It is spotted with all kinds of brokenness. And you're, you're trying to figure out how to have healthy relationships. Look, I'm convinced that the, there, there is a reason people have healthy relationships. It ha doesn't happen on accident. It happens on purpose. And there are reasons why people's relationships become unhealthy and why things become broken. And so I, we're, that's what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks. And I want to encourage you to come and be ready, be willing, write some things down, ask the Lord to work in your life, to be able to heal your heart and to move forward in relationships. And so I think relationships are one of the most important things in our lives. They define us in so many ways. 
Relationships are so important for us. I want you to write this idea down. If you got your pen and paper out, write down some notes. Here, here's an idea for you. The whole world, with one minor exception, is comprised of others. So much of the time we look at life and we don't see that. We just see us. And we see ourselves in isolation and, and as individuals and, and everything kind of revolves around us. But the truth is the rest of the world it has to do with others and how you interact with others. And so we're going to talk about this. We begin with the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. And, and it's amazing. I'm convinced that if we get relationships right, it seems like the rest of life kind of goes right. If we get relationships wrong, things go wrong. And Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, in his most famous message, the Sermon on the Mount, you don't realize it, maybe because you've read it so often, but he talks more about relationships in this passage than any other subject. He talks about how we interact with each other and how we interact with um, his design and purpose for relationships. And so I'm going to read out of the message paraphrase Bible. And, and the message is a modern day sort of translation. Uh, Eugene Peterson uh, wrote it. He, he, he is an expert in, in Bible languages, so he, but he wrote it on his own as a paraphrase in street language, modern language of today. That was his goal. And so it's a really great Bible to read when you're trying to look maybe with new eyes or with a, a bit of a new perspective on what uh, the Bible says. And so I really believe in it. So we're gonna, I'm going to read all the way through that. And I want you to take notes and I want you to uh, pay attention. Let's read it together. In your translation, you can kind of follow along. Let's start in verse 1, chapter 5. It says, when Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. And those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, climbed with him. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. And this is what he said. He said, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. He said, you're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. Verse 5 says, you're blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. Verse 6, you're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink in the best meal you'll ever eat. I'm going to read that verse one more time. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink and the best meal you'll ever eat. The first thing, as Jesus is about halfway through these, what we would call the Beatitudes, as he's halfway through this, he's describing a life that is emptied of itself and allowing God to fill it. He's describing people who recognize that they are spiritually poor without him. He's describing people, blessed are the poor in spirit. That means they know that they are needy people. They are not sufficient in and of themselves. The first key, the first part of the solution to having great relationships, number one is begin with God. Begin with God. Your most important relationship is the one you have with God. Every other relationship will rise or fall on how your relationship with God works. Your marriage will rise and fall on how well you interact with God, how well He begins to change your life, on, on how well you surrender to His purposes and His desires. Your marriage relationship, your relationship with your kids, your relationships at work, everything begins to take on a new Identity, if you have a relationship with God that is vibrant, that is full of life, full of, full of wisdom, full of grace, you've got to recognize that you alone in and of yourself have nothing to offer, that you need Him to fill you up. You understand that without Him you're broken, but with Him you have 
all sufficiency. He is the sufficient one. Without him, you understand that you'll be full of your own arrogance and full of yourself, but with him, you'll understand what humility looks like. That you begin to understand that you can be humble because you need him. And here's another thing that happens here. When Jesus is describing this, I think what he's saying is when you get that you are so needy and that he is everything, you have compassion for others who don't quite get it. That you start having mercy for them because you know what the problem is in their lives. You don't judge them so harshly because you know you've, you've tackled the same issue. And so this is such an important idea for us to start, begin with God. God wants to heal us. He wants to, to, to bind up the brokenness of our past. And he ha- only he has the power to help us do the right thing. He doesn't want us to be defined by our failures. He wants us to be defined by him. And so verse uh, verse from Philippians that that talks about this. Philippians 2.13, it says, For it is God who is at work in you. Everybody just say that together. Let's read this passage together. Ready? For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. What does that second half of that verse mean? Both to will and to work. Like What that means is God gives us both the desire, the will to do it, and the ability. He works in us, gives us his ability in, in place of our ability. He is working in us to create the will and the work. That's what he's doing in you. That's what he's doing in me. And so we have to understand that he is everything. He is the most important relationship we can have. We start with him. Everything else begins to measure, measure up, line up uh, with his plan and purpose. Verse 7. Verse 7 in Matthew 5. Here it is. It says, you're blessed. Everybody say, you're blessed. You're blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful, and it's a little play on words, he means full of care. At the moment you are full of care for others, you find yourselves cared for. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and heart, put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. I want you to catch this. You're blessed when you get your inside world. Everybody say inside world. The inside world, your mind and heart, put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. So the second principle you have to really get if you're going to have healthy relationships is you have to work on yourself. You have to work on on yourself. You have to work on it. Work on what's going on inside your heart. You invite God in and then you begin the work you know, I've, <laughs> I meet a lot of young men trying to figure out who they can date and who they can, you know, love and think about a spouse in the future. And, and so a lot of the times I have to tell them stuff like, bro, brush your teeth, man. <laughs> Comb your hair. Put some deodorant on. You smell. Iron your, do you own an iron? Do you own an iron your clothes? Put a belt on. Pull those pants up, big boy. I don't know what it is. It's, it's like, I can't find anybody today. Well, you're a slob. You're, you're a slob. You're not attractive to anybody. It is so, it's so important for us to work on ourselves. And here's why. Because your relationships can only be as healthy as you are. Your relationships are only going to be as healthy as you are on the inside. And we're not talking about cosmetics here. We're talking about a healthy heart. We're talking about the way that you interact with others, the way you see yourself. We're talking about the way that you understand the world works. And here's the problem. All of us see the world a little bit differently because we have a filter that we look through. We have a lens. It's, the idea would be called the lens principle. The lens principle means every one of us see the world based on who we are based on our experiences, based on our history, based on the damage of the past, based on uh, things that have been done to us, based on our family history and experiences. This creates a lens, and we see the rest of the world through it. And sometimes that lens is broken. It's not right. And we don't even know that. 
And what relationships begin to do is it begins to fix the lens. You have to allow other people to speak into your life and, and you have to be willing to work on yourself as it gets pointed out and not think that you and the way you see the world is the only way it works. It's a powerful idea. Our lens is who we are determines how we see the world. And so I, I think there's something so important that you need when you begin to work on yourself and it is you need others to work with you. And so one of the reasons that I encourage people to be a part of one chapel is because I want you to be a part of a community where people will know you, where you can be known and then you can be loved. And and here's the secret. The secret is people knowing you and the worst parts of you and still loving you, still working with you, still walking with you. At the end of the day, isn't that what we all long for? Isn't that what we want so desperately is to be fully known and yet people are willing to love us? What I say to people who are new to one chapel, I just talked to them in there in square one, just back, back here backstage. I, I, I was teaching a little group of people and I just said, you, you give us a year at one chapel. Connect in a meaningful way. Go, don't just come and sit, sit somewhere on Sundays. Connect in a meaningful way. Be on a team. Go to a connect group. Be involved in the life of the church and your life will change. Your relationships will begin to line up. You may see the brokenness that you haven't seen in the past but it'll begin to work deep on the inside of you that's god's design and desire for relationships you have to work on yourself go down to verse nine let's keep going verse nine says you're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. This is is the peacemaker. This is the one that, that understands how to make peace in relationships, how to deal with people in a way that's positive. The num- number three idea that you need if you're going to have healthy relationships is you need to decide that you're going to be a positive influence in somebody else. Do you ever meet a person who is super negative? Super negative people are awful. They, oh, they, I know, sometimes in Austin, because it's so full of artists and IT people, it's sometimes seen to be cool to be super critical, super cynical. You know, that's what's cool, and that tells everybody that you've been around. Actually, it just makes you a drag. You're no fun to be around. The negativity just poisons your relationship. You're critical about everything. I don't like the church because of this and this and this and this. Oh, I don't like this eating joint because of this and this. That's okay, but I'm not really that much of a fan of it. Well, are you much of a fan of anything? Because you just seem to criticize everything. People get into this negativity, and it is so depressing. You ought to buck the trend, and you got to be positive. God's design and his plan for you is to create positive influence in other people's lives. Well, Pastor Russ, are you saying I can't be critical and be thoughtful? No, you can be thoughtful, absolutely. But you've got to understand that your purpose as a child of God is to bring positive elements into other people's lives. And listen, the gospel itself, there's a reason they call it good news. It's good news for people. Are you saying we can't tell them the truth? No, tell them the truth, but then tell them there's an answer. The solution is Jesus. Be the positive influencer. Your, rela- your relationships kind of rise and fall on this positive influence. Be a solution person and not a problem person. A solution person and not a problem person. This reminds me of the Bob Principle. You ever heard of the Bob Principle? The Bob Principle is if Bob always has a problem then Bob might be the problem. (laughs) If Bob always has a problem with things, then Bob might actually be the problem. It's a downer. It's depressing. Now, here's what I think we have to make our peace with. Unity is a big deal in, in the Bible. Jesus prayed in John 17... Jesus' prayer 
was for his disciples and all those who would come after him. And it's the namesake of one chapel. John 17, verse 20. You can write it down. Look it up. John 17, 20. Here's what it says. It says, Father, make them one like we are one. Give them the kind of relationships that you and I have. That oneness, that connectedness. But he didn't just stop there. He didn't just pray that. He gave a reason. The reason that he wants people to be connected in unity, not fighting all the time, not fighting with each other, not divisive, but actually unifying. The reason he wants it and the reason he prayed the prayers, he said, so that the world will believe that you sent me. Do you know the world is sick and tired of us fighting with each other? They want, they want, to, see, they want to see Christians who have, Christians who have an, a positive impact on the world. They want to see Christians who will actually live what they believe in their own relationships and their marriages. So you got to commit to making a difference in a person's life, in, a, in another person's life, and that means you have to be part of a group. Now, I'm, I'm convinced, when we look at this verse, the second half of the verse says, that's when you discover who you really are. Your, your place in God's family. What you have to come to grips with is your place in God's family is determined by your positive influence and what happens as, as you engage with the group. I want to give you a sentence here that I think is pro- profound for us. And it says, we find our greatest purpose when we are part of a group that's making a difference. We find our greatest purpose when we're part of a group that's making a difference. Now, there's a lot of people who are committed to making a difference. Austin is the city of nonprofits. People wanting to make a difference, but often they make a difference by themselves. They're not a part of a group making a difference, and they're, they're, they're pushing, and they have a cause that they're interested in, whether it's uh, feeding the poor or helping the homeless or, or human trafficking. They're committed to this cause, and they just spend themselves on this cause, but then they become burned out because they're just doing it by themselves. They're not part of a group. They're not part of a group of people that can help them manage their resources and, and their energy levels. And, and they, don't, they, don't, they don't quite understand how, to, how that works. Other people, they're part of a group, but they don't make a difference in anybody's life. Because they just like being part of a group. It's all about them. All the arrows point into their life. And I just need more input. And I need other people to, you know, hear my opinion and know what I'm doing and know what's going on with me. And they, and they love community. Listen, community is good, but it just becomes self-absorbed if you're not willing and committed to make a difference in somebody else's life. And so being a positive influence is so important and when you're, when you're part of a group of people that are making a difference, that's when you start to have the right balance. And you're, you're, in, you're depositing into that group some, some really positive things. And so here's a, here's, a, here's a way to do it, all right? I'll give you a way to do it. I'll give you a simple way to challenge the negativity that sometimes comes out of our mouths, all right? It's called the 30-second rule. The 30-second rule. 30-second rule is... Within the first 30 seconds of a conversation, say something encouraging. Say something encouraging. Say something nice. Say something that'll build the other person up. Say something positive. Say something that will actually line you up with the purpose God has put you on the planet for. And that is making someone else's life better. Here's what Ephesians 4.29 says. It says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful. Everybody say helpful. Only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. You mean I have to be thinking about other people's needs all the time? What about my need? Pastor Ross, I have needs. The Bible has this little verse and it says, For he who has friends must show himself friendly. The law of sowing and reaping comes into play here. As you begin to invest in others... That investment comes back to you. It says, this verse says, but only what is helpful or built for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. This is such a powerful practice. I want to challenge you to do it. Number, 
Let's, let's continue to read the next passage, and we'll go to number four. Here's what Jesus continues with. He says, you're, are you guys with me? Are you guys, is this interesting to you? Okay, so you're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. Oh, bummer. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. That's why it's a blessing. Can I pause here and tell you that all over the world, when persecution comes upon Christians, that the body of Christ grows. It grows exponentially. Something happens when there's persecution. God's grace comes on a group of people to help them deal with the challenges. It's an incredible thing. I'll show you it in just a second. Verse 11 says, not only that, but count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. When it, what it means is that truth, the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give a cheer even for though they don't like it, I do. And all of heaven applauds and know that you are in good company because my prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. <laughs> all right, let's talk about how to respond to, a ne- to negative people, all right? Number four, res- you have to learn how to respond to negative people with confidence and conviction. People who are mean to you, people who are resistant to you. How do you deal with those people? Do you ignore them? Do you, do you, do you wipe them off the map? Do you punch them in the face? No, this is, what, this is what Peter said in 1 Peter verse 4. He said, let God be your defender. He said, when you, when, you, when you deal with a person who's really hard to deal with and they're attacking you, he said, what you have to do is let God defend you. He has all the resources at his disposal to make that happen. You have very few resources to defend yourself. Here's what he says. He says, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Now, here's the the verse I want you to listen to. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. Blessed, it means fortunate. It may mean, we could even interpret it lucky. You are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. What that means is when you face something like that, there's extra grace. There's extra power. There's something that rests on you that gives you the strength to be able to to deal with those people. And so whether it's your boss and he's being mean to you and you just want want to lash out at him or you want to gossip all around the office to make sure that everybody knows how bad that guy is, that's not what you're called to as a Christian. That's not the secret to having good relationships because here's what happens in the mind of every coworker as you begin to gossip about other people in the office the boss or another worker as you begin to gossip about them and say bad things about them at some point that person's going to think I wonder what they're saying about me and probably you'll be guilty if gossip is your way to get back at somebody there's really there's probably three ways that the Bible kind of encourages us how to deal with mean people and, and, and tax. Number one would be a kindness. Jesus said, if you find yourself being slapped in the face, turn the other cheek, go the extra mile. He said, give, if they ask for your coat, give them your cloak as well. He, kindness is a way that we deal with some of those negative people. Another way to deal with it would be silence. Silence. You know, you don't have to say anything. People are mean to you. You don't have to respond. I know the world is teaching you through reality television that you cannot have a thought that is not expressed out loud. It's somehow we want our opinion to be known. Here's a, here's a unique uh, idea that I want you to get here today. It, that is, you don't have to share your opinions. It is not mandatory for you to share all opinions. The person who shares every opinion he has, those are fools. I was just trying to be honest, man. No, you're dumb. No, you're saying things that aren't necessary. You're, 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 you're actually damaging people. Let God defend you. Sometimes the best thing to do is just be silent. Sometimes it's kindness, sometimes it's silence, and sometimes it's confrontation. 
Sometimes you have to confront the person. Sometimes you have to deal with some kind of confrontation. And look, most people in the room, you hate conflict. We'd rather avoid it. There's, a, there's about uh, 7% of you, statistically, that love conflict. <laughs> we always avoid you. <laughs> people love conflict. But listen, let, let, can I tell you this? Conflict actually bonds people. When you're finally willing to have the discussion, when you're finally willing to deal with the other person, you got some issue you're wrestling with, and you finally share it, and you discuss it, and you're willing to have a conversation about it, something happens, and there's a bonding there. So, <clears throat> I think if your marriage has turned mean and your marriage has turned negative, we have to let God defend us first and then we, and we have to begin the process of learning how to heal those hurts, break down those walls. You don't have to be a doormat. If you're in a, if you're in a bad marriage or you're in a difficult situation, a relationship, you don't have to be a doormat, but you do have to carry a towel with you everywhere you go because you're called to serve. You're called to wash people's feet. The next part of the scripture, let's go back to Matthew 5. It says in verse 13, let me tell you why you're here. Right? Here it is. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. So many people feel like they're not worthy of anything. And they feel like they should just be, end up in the garbage. They don't feel useful because they haven't made their peace with the fact that God has wired them to invest in others. They haven't made their peace with the fact that serving others is part of their purpose and fulfillment. You become useless when you become selfish. You become useless if you don't add salt seasoning and you bring out the flavors of, of, the, of, the, of the life of other people. So here's what Jesus says, verse 14. He says, here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, and you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. And now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, then I want you to shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God. And this, gener this generous Father in heaven is how I want you to reflect my character to others. He's saying, I want you to act like my heavenly father. I want you to reflect his generosity. I want you to reflect who he is as a father. I want you to open up to people because in opening up to people, you'll help them see him. So number five, here's what you need to do. Number five, you're gonna have really successful, healthy relationships. You've gotta help people succeed. Help people succeed in their life. Help people do better in their life. Be the person that actually is interested in what's going on with someone else and help them succeed in what they're interested in. Once you help someone succeed, you will have a friend for life. People will remember what you did for them. They will be great, so grateful. They will be attracted to you because you made their lives better. I have, I have a long history of people who have made an investment in my life. When I think about this, I think of Dr. David S. Bishop. He was a pastor at a church in Yakima, Washington, and I was 19 years old. And he invited me to lead worship and to, to be part of the ministry. I was just skinny, scrawny kid. I was learning. I was cutting my teeth. I didn't know how to do everything. But he, he began to shape and form my ministry ideas and, and, and what I believed about people and helping people experience God, helping people come in touch with the Father through worship. And, and he began to give me an opportunity and made an investment in my life that I'll never, never forget. There's a, another group of people that when I think about this, the, the launch team of One Chapel, and I think about the 50 people that came with us from Colorado and they got jobs and they came and put their lives on the line and, and came together as a group of people 
They came to plant one chapel, and I remember the group that would meet in Manchek Baptist in their youth room. Remember that upstairs? How many people were there? Manchek Baptist. Raise your hand. Yeah, these people, I appreciate. You made my life successful, and my goal is to make your life successful. We, you, we began to pray and ask God, what, what do you want to do with us? How do you want us to influence the city? What do you, how do you want to use us? Those people made an investment in my life that I'll never forget. I have a couple um, that Amy and I know. They're about 10 years ahead of us, and uh, they're our parents' godkids. Their names are Jeff and Joyce Jones. And, and when we, we, we uh, met them one time, we were, Amy and I were a young couple, and we didn't even have any babies yet. Um, it was a long time ago. And they, we, we, they invited us to their house. They said, why don't you come over for dinner? So we get ready, and we come over to their house, and we show up, and all the lights are off. It's all dark inside. And, and uh, so we ring the doorbell. Nobody comes to the door. It's all dark. So we ring the doorbell again, and we're, we're like, what, what is going on? And finally, they, a light goes on, and they come to the door, and, and they, the whole family kind of comes to the door, but they're in their, their bathrobes. They're like in their pajamas, and it's like, you know, 6.30 at night, and, and they got curl. she has curlers in her hair, you know, and we're like, hey, we're here for dinner, and they're like, this, this, is, this is the wrong night. <laughs> this is, we, we, this is, we invited you for Thursday night. We, we weren't ready for you, but, but come on in. We got we some baloney, and we have some, you know, stuff like that, and, and uh, their little, two little girls were all, like, nasty, and their hair was all funny, and, and they totally got us. Like, they were totally acting. Like, it was, it was the night they had, they, had, they had asked us over, but they totally pulled one over on us, and they pulled one over on the pastor. And so we, were, we felt so awkward, and then finally they told us, and we're like, okay, nice. These are the kind of people they are. <laughs> and what happened, though, as a result of our friendship with them, they, they said, we want to find a young couple uh, that we're ahead of in years. We're about 10 years older than you guys, and we want to take you under our wing, and we want to help you. We want to coach you. They did things like when, when we couldn't afford it, they bought tires for our car. You know, when we were struggling, they, they would help us with the kids. Um, they, they help, they, I mean, they just became part of our family. Their investment means it, it's a lifelong friendship. Could I challenge you that if you're an older married couple, that there are young couples everywhere waiting for somebody to take them under their wing, to help them, to make an investment in them, to have a lifelong friendship. We are blessed to be a blessing. Blessed to be a blessing. Genesis 12 is the Abrahamic covenant. You know what it says? The Abrahamic covenant says, I'm, God said to Abraham, I'm gonna bless you. But he didn't stop there. He said, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make you a blessing to all the nations. The role of uh, who we are as God's people is to bless others. And I, uh, John Maxwell has this thing where he describes four types of people. And I, wanna, I want you to write this down. I think this is such a good picture and you can identify who you are. What kind of a person are you? Are you the kind of person that helps people succeed? Or are you the kind of person that's always pulling on other people? Four kinds of people, John Maxwell says. Number one, some people add something to our lives and we really enjoy them. They add something to our life, and we appreciate what they're adding to our life. We want them around. But number two, some people subtract something from our life. Have you ever hang out with somebody who just feels like they're sucking the life out of you? We tolerate them. They, they're going to hang around, but we're going to tolerate them. Some people multiply something for life. When people multiply something, that means they took what was happening in your life, and they multiplied it and made it even better. We value those people. We love those people. And then there's a fourth type of person. Some people divide something in your life. In other words, they bring division. They're always, they're always complaining or they're always dividing. They're always doing something divisive. We, we, we avoid them. You gotta de decide which kind of person you're gonna be. You gotta decide which kind of person you're gonna be. You can be somebody who adds something to somebody's life and that's good. But really, as leaders, what we wanna do is mature to the place where we're actually multiplying people's lives and experiences. That's what we want. All right, finally, coming to the end here, verse 21. Are you guys still with me? Yeah. Verse 21, it says, You're familiar with the command to the ancients, do not murder. 
I'm telling you that anyone who is so much as angry with a brother or sister is guilty of murder. Carelessly call a brother idiot, and you just might find yourself hauled into court. Thoughtlessly yell stupid at a sister, and you're on the brink of hellfire. The simple moral fact is that words kill. Number six, idea of how to make relationships successful. Say the right words at the right time. Say the right words at the right time. Right words at the wrong time are bad. Wrong words at the right time end up being bad. But if you can develop the skill of being able to say the right things at just the right moment, you really become a valued friend. Now, in your marriage, this is incredibly important. Has your wife ever asked you, do I look fat? It's a trap. It's a trap. Because even if you say, no, you don't look fat at all, you look awesome. Oh, you're just saying that. It's, it, you can't win. When I was young in marriage, uh, we ha- my wife and I had a 500-square-foot apartment, and we were having dinner one night. She, it was early on, and Amy didn't have a job yet. She was at home, and she was cooking dinner, and I came home from work, and we were there in our little dining room, and we had a little uh, card table for a dining room table, right? Dining, dining room table is a card table and folding chairs. So she's making dinner, and, and, and she gets it ready, and we're, I'm sitting down, and I'm like, oh, this looks really good. And so we sit down to eat, and then she starts to dish out the food, and I pick up the mashed potatoes, and I, I get the mashed potatoes. I plop a whole bunch on my plate, and they're a little runny. So I said, wow, those are a little runny. And suddenly the air grew cold. I did not realize. Yeah, I did not realize. I did not realize how big of a deal this was. She was, she was doing something new out of her comfort zone. She was trying to make dinner for me, wanted me to be impressed. And I, I wasn't unimpressed. I just said the wrong thing at the wrong time. I didn't th- use my noggin. I was a stupid husband. And so, I, and, and so I said, these are a little runny. I did not see mashed potatoes on our table for seven years. <laughs> this woman, when she commits to something, she's all in. She was, she was, yeah, she's right. That's one, Yeah. There's something unbelievable about saying the right thing at the right time. I want you to understand, in relationships, you have to recognize the power of your words. Recognize the power of your words. Proverbs 18, 21, you know what it says? It says, the tongue has the power of life and death. You have the power within you to say, to build people up or to tear them down. To encourage people or to make them feel discouraged. Here's some ideas for you. Let, when, you, when, you. when you begin to develop relationships, be honest. Say things that are so true. Let them know that you need them. That's something we rarely do. Compliment someone in front of others. Encourage people's dreams when they share them. Write notes to people. We've kind of lost the art of writing notes. It just doesn't seem right to say, write an email. Email is work. There's something about writing notes to your kids. Think about what your kids need to hear from you and write them a note. My son's away at college and we find ourselves texting from time to time. It's amazing, uh, just a different aspect of our relationship and saying the right thing at just the right time, helping to lift his day. It's, It's really an amazing thing. Say the right thing at the right time. Verse 23 says, this is how I want you to conduct yourselves in these matters. If you enter your place of worship and you're about to make an offering, you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you. Abandon your offering, leave immediately, go to this friend and make 
things right. And then and only then come back and work things out with God. Do you know, this is, a, this is an incredible passage in chapter 5 that says, that shows us God's hierarchy for biblical principles. God is not as concerned about our worship as he is about the relationships with the other people that we're worshiping with. He is not interested in our rituals as much as he is in the unity of people who who feel as though they're disconnected. He wants us to understand that we treat relationships like spiritual treasures. These are spiritual things we're working with here. when When we worship God and somebody has a grudge against us, Jesus said, go fix the grudge first. Go, go deal with it. Don't, don't put it off. He's essentially saying your worship of God is only as good as your relationships with other people. And you'll see it in people's marriages. You'll see it in people, the way people treat each other at work. It's pitiful when a Christian comes to worship God at church and so demonstrative and so expressive and yet cheating people at work. That's a horrible thing. It undermines our entire message. When you come to worship and you do this thing and you, you worship God is so expressively and yet you hate your spouse. You cuss him or her out routinely because you can't figure out how to hold your anger in. See, here's the thing. What God is saying is the spouse and the relationship is more important. It's not that worship's not important. It's that this relationship deserves more of your expression and more of your energy and more of your intentionality than your worship does. He's challenging us. Sometimes we get so judgmental of people. And we get so rough on them, but we we stop treating them like treasures. But here's what I want to challenge you to do. In your relationships, I want you to mine the gold. Mine for the gold of good intentions. Here's Here's what I mean. Mine for the gold of good intentions and believe the best about people. Don't start from believing the worst about people. Start from believing the best about people as a treasure, as a spirit. There's spiritual implications. Believe the best about a person and then something begins to happen in your own heart. You start to think like God. And here's, here's the truth. We often, see, we often see ourselves in light of our intentions. You ever said to somebody when you're arguing over something, well, that wasn't what I meant. <laughs> or that wasn't my heart. My heart was this. Well, that's not what you said. What you said was this. Or what you did was this. So we often judge ourselves in the light of intentions, but we judge others in the light of their actions. <laughs> we don't even think about their intentions. Or we, or we misjudge their intentions. Or we start from a place of, that it's negative. Jesus when you see the picture of the woman caught in adultery, they, they, they came and they threw this woman down. I don't know where the man was. It seems like the man should have shown up somewhere there. But they threw this woman down and said, the law says that this woman should be stoned. What do you say? And Jesus went down and he started doing something on the ground. He started writing something. Nobody knows what he was writing. I think it might have been the mistresses of all the guys that were standing there. It's just my own personal opinion. But he said, he, said, he said, if you're without sin, cast the first stone. Look, we got to open up our hearts and lives to other people and let God work in those relationships. When you see other people as treasures, when you're not judgmental of them, when you're willing to allow God into your relationships, when you're willing to treat them in light of who God says they are instead of who you think they are, treat them in light of who God says they are versus who you think they are. Then you end, up, you end up here, verse 48. Verse 48. In a word, what I'm saying to you, Jesus said, is grow up. <laughs> your kingdom subjects now live like it. Live out your God-created identity and, identity and live generously and graciously toward others the way God lives toward you. You can live for others and grow in maturity and influence. Or you can live for yourself and wither into isolation and selfishness. It's, a, it's your choice. It's our, each of our choices. 
I choose life. I choose the life that God has in relationship with others. I choose to live towards others like God lives towards me. Close your eyes, bow your heads. Let's pray about this and let's ask God to work in our hearts. I wonder if you'd just let him speak to you. Let him speak to you right here, right now, right in this moment. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. I'm not going to call you forward, but I want to give you a chance to respond to what God is doing in your life. And some of you are here and you're saying, my relationships are a mess. My brokenness in my past dominates my current relationships. I need help. I need, I need God. I need to invest in my relationship with God and I need Him in my life. And so I want to open up my heart to Him once again. Or maybe for the first time, but if that's you and you're sitting here and you're realizing, you're thinking, I need to make sure my relationship with God is right because I need help. Because the truth is, you will not be able to implement any of these principles, any of these ideas, until you surrender your life with God. It's very difficult. But when you, when you give yourself to Him, He comes along and helps you. So if that's you, if, you're, if you want to commit your life to Christ today in a new way and you say, Pastor, please pray for me, just shoot your hand up in the air and say, yeah, Pastor, I need, I need to make that commitment today. Yeah, but see you over here, down here in the front, way over here on the side, way in the back, all over the room. Come on, let's, let's all make this commitment together. Let's decide. Let's decide to invest and be the kind of people God wants us to be. Would you all repeat this prayer after me? Come on, pray this prayer with me. Say, Heavenly Father, everybody, say it again. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus who shows me the way to live for others. Forgive me, Lord, for doing my own thing, for going my own way, for being selfish. I confess all my failures, all my foolishness. I am in need. I need you. Give me a new start today. Give me a fresh start in my relationship with you and my relationship with others. Thank you, Jesus, for your forgiveness, for your healing. I receive it. Lord, thank you for what you're doing in people's hearts right now and how you're whispering to them and you're, you're engaging them a little bit by your spirit and you're, you're convincing them that you really do love them and that as you love them, they can learn how to love others. I pray that you would work your will out in every one of us to, to have relationships that honor you, that are defined by you. Give us your wisdom. Give us your courage. Give us your grace able to walk it out as we as we move from this place thank you lord for what you're doing we receive it in jesus name